Uh, looking forward to getting into uh, a message today. You've joined us for one of our missions weekends. We do four a year in January, March, May, and July, just to emphasize the impact that Connection Point can have around the world. And so we're grateful for that opportunity we have, and we want to make sure we continue to look to the nations in ways that we can be a part of that. And so this morning, we're going to hear from Paul Tremontosi. He is the regional director for Europe, so over missions strategy for Assemblies of God World Missions in Europe itself. And, and he's going to share some great insights for us. You know, one of the joys of talking uh, with people that aren't from our community is in conversation with them, you can start to pick up on, hey, this is important for us here. This is, these things matter for our thinking here. It helps us to speak into some of the processes and things that we see happening in the greater Lafayette area. How many know that Europe has been secularized and increasingly America is as well? Are you aware of that? So it is really important on a day like today where we have Paul here to speak about some of these things for Europe, the application for us today, uh, it's big. And so we want to hear from him today. I just encourage you, have an open heart to what he shares as he examines scripture. And I'll tell you, one of the things he's going to look at is, you know, should we be affecting culture or should be culture be affecting the church? Which way should it be? We should be affecting culture, right? But we've got to make sure we stick close to God's word so we do that. And so, Paul, that's really going to be the underlying kind of theme of what he's going to talk about today. How are we doing to reflect Christ in our culture? Because if we don't do that well, then we've really not done our part and what God calls us to in the Great Commission. And so we want to make sure we do that well. Can we welcome Paul this morning as he comes and shares with us today? Your blessing. Well, welcome everybody. It's good to have you here. Whoa. <laughs> Am I alone? <laughs> you know, um, I pastored in Baltimore, Maryland for uh, four years. I was 27 years old. What was God thinking having a 27 year old preaching and pastoring a church? I had no clue what was going on. And uh, I was thinking that my youth group of that church was between the age of 70 and 75. That was my youth group. <laughs> and, uh, you know, every Sunday morning I would hear uh, what I thought was the sound system going off. And I would be so ticked at my sound guy. You know, these guys are amazing back here. But I'd be so ticked. At, it's like, guys, every week. It's, and then I discovered it was someone's hearing aid going off in the front, you know. So <clears throat> that was my early journey in leadership. And I just want to say thank you to your sound guys who uh, last minute, yeah. I met with your leadership team last night, and uh, they messed me all up. You guys are in big trouble here, I can just tell you that. Uh, they, they, that was an interesting meeting, it really was. It was a great meeting, we had a blast, but you know, they really like each other. It's really strange, you know, they really like each other. And, uh, but in the conversation, they kind of got me going, and it changed my whole direction of where I was going. So I had sent them all the stuff about a week and a half ago or so, and they had it all set to go, and I came in this morning and said, I gotta change the whole thing. So they've been great. Thank you guys for helping me. I really appreciate, uh, appreciate all your, your work in making that happen. So we're changing gears here this morning, if you don't mind. And it is a bit of a hard message this morning, but I'm deeply concerned about our American church, 
And I think by doing this, maybe we'll help give you some insight into how to pray for Europe because it's what we have experienced there for a long time. So that's kind of the heart. What Pastor was saying is really the heart of, of what we want to do this morning. But I do want to say something that I really mean from the bottom of my heart. I travel an awful lot and I see many, many, many churches and uh, this church is one of them. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> this is a great church. Do you know you're part of a great church? I honestly do not say that everywhere I go because I can't necessarily say that everywhere I go. This is a great church and you have fantastic leadership. Amen. Amen. The truth of the matter is uh, uh, your pastors have had, and I was talking with uh, Zach about this, Pastor Zach, uh, before, just how God has, has given you guys such a, a beautiful um, uh, experience in life that really takes on a plethora of, of kinds of experiences in many different cultures, I think brings to you and brings to this congregation um, an opportunity to have a worldview that is wide and open and, and sharp and on tack. And, and, and I, I'm really impressed with that. I'm impressed with them as people. They're humble. They're the real deal. And your leadership team is reflecting that as well. So remember, to whom much is given, much will be required. And I think an awful lot is going to be required of this church. And that's a good thing. So kudos to you. Thank you, guys. You guys are fantastic, really. I mean that. Well, we're going to jump right into the, the message here. Uh, my name is Paul Tremontosi. Uh, my mother taught me how to spell my last name by doing the Mickey Mouse song because uh, it was really challenging. T-R-E-M-E-N-T-O-Z-Z-I. How cool is that, huh? <clears throat> and I started that when I was 25. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I am Italian, so I, I have to speak with my hands. If I don't do that, it just doesn't come out well. Uh, half French and half Italian. My wife is all Italian. She's the scary ones with the violin cases, you know. She's little, but woof, watch out. Her name's Angela. This is being streamed, huh? So she could be listening. I love you, honey. <laughs> and um, I'm a blessed man. I've known her since I was six years of age. We've known each other. Our families were best friends growing up. And uh, it can happen, and it's awesome. I really mean that. Life is good. And marriage is wonderful, especially when you marry your best friend. And uh, for any of you young people, make sure you're friends first before you're romantically involved, if that's possible. Or at least make sure you get that friend element in there, because it's a big deal. It's awesome. And uh, so I've got three kids, and they're wonderful, and I'm proud of them all. One's in Saudi Arabia, manager of the Cheesecake Factory. How cool is that? Who would have ever thought that the most lucrative cheesecake factory would be in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia? They get sand and cheesecake, <laughs> you know. And I have another son. Both of them, are uh, he's married, and I'm going to be a grandpa I just found a couple of days ago. So I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, my uh, middle son is in Bradenton, Florida, and married to uh, Tara, wonderful school teacher. And uh, real proud of these guys. And then my youngest son is in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I'll tell you what, I got the whole South thing going. I'm not quite sure what to do with that. We spent 17 years in Spain where we were missionaries, about an hour south of Barcelona, a place called Tarragona, an ancient Roman city. And uh, honestly, we loved it, absolutely loved it. 
but it, it's a strange thing. It's not hard to live in Europe. It wasn't hard to live on the Mediterranean. I mean, somebody's got to do it. It might as well be me, right? But I would say this to you. It was a different kind of hard. Um, I admire our missionaries that go into places like where your pastors were in the Sudan. It's the wild, wild west out there. It's crazy. Uh, these hard places that are just brutal. But I would just want to remind everybody that we, no matter where we are in this world, are in spiritual warfare. And there's just different levels of hard. When I first went to Spain, the missionary that I had gone to work with, um, his wife had had a nervous breakdown. His daughter had pulled out all her hair because of the stress and the anxiety. He had had tremendous success in Latin America for years and years, incredible success. It was part of the great tent revival there in Paraguay. He had planted literally himself hundreds of churches. Incredible. He went to Spain and he said he'd never seen anything as difficult and as challenging because he was rejected by everybody. Nobody was interested in the gospel. And that was the reality that I have found throughout much of Europe. Europe is a place where uh, the only region in the world of our six regions is the only region where church growth is declining. It's the only region where it's declining. The reason for that, I'm going to tell you what the reason is. And I'm going to say the main reason is because of the failure of Christendom. And that's a hard word. So are you ready with me to get into this thing? Would you pray with me? Father, help us, Lord. I pray you help me to be able to communicate effectively. Lord God, that we would stand in the gap on behalf of 550 million Europeans that do not know you. Help us, Lord, to be able to communicate to this wonderful church, this beautiful community of believers, following you and wanting to understand better what this world is and what the call is that you have in their lives. So help us, Lord, this morning to have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, everybody okay? Smile at me. I want to see how many are missing teeth. If you want to sleep, just don't snore. Keep it quiet. We're good. I'm just going to go right into it. Are you ready? So one of my great challenges that I immediately found out is that people don't think of Europe as a mission field. I would venture to guess that most of you probably don't think of Europe as a mission field. I mean, come on. It's not hard to go live in Europe. I've got no jumble, jungles. I think in the last service I said Europe missions is not sexy missions. He said I could say it, so I said it again. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it just doesn't look normal. It, it's not the kind of place you think of when you're talking about missions. Uh, one of my leaders uh, on my leadership team, Sean Gallion, he's phenomenal, has helped us to uh, develop, he and his wife, the Secular People's Initiative. Um, he says, Europe is like the platypus of missions. You know what a platypus is? has a nose like I do. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's just, it, it's all nose. You know, it looks weird. It just doesn't fit. And that's kind of how we are. You know, this is my European uh, uh, cultural outfit. It's kind of like what you're all wearing, isn't it? You know, I go to these banquets. They say, wear your missionary garb. I'm like, ah, got dungarees. You know, it just, it just doesn't fit. And so how do we communicate that you've got so many lost people 
in this place that it's not hard to live in, in this place that is just so elegant in their thinking and so much of our history. We got, we got our faith from the Europeans. It was the pilgrims that came over here, right? To, to I'm sorry, what were they doing? Oh, they were escaping, what? A persecution. But I thought Europe already had the gospel. We'll get into that in a second. Um, there are too many other needy places. Europe just doesn't look like a needy place. We have a message that I think is important and uh, I agree with. Um, we talk about going to the least reached places of the world. I'm sure your pastor and your leadership have talked about that. You heard Omar Byler, I'm sure, talk about that. And you know what? I buy into that 100%. I absolutely agree with that. And we talked extensively about that in leadership at headquarters. I believe that we should prioritize the least reached people. But what I wanted to define is what do we mean by least reached? If you're going to allow the 8,000 communities in Spain that do not have any evangelical witness at all as a priority for me, then I'm in. Then I'm in. But if you're just going to think in your mind of just those hard places where we have unreached people groups completely, then I think we should go there, but don't you dare ignore my people in Europe because I contend that we're missing something. I contend that the gospel that they have heard is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's go into that. We have written a statement in Europe and I would like you to read this. Europe is generally viewed as a region that is steeped in history, adorned with beauty, and confidently accomplished and cultured. Isn't that what you think of when you think of Europe? The truth is that Europe is dominated by dark secrets, deep wounds, and desperate spiritual brokenness. The message of the gospel has been perverted. And that's the point that I want you to get this morning leading to the abandonment of Christianity, the growth of other religious expressions, and the rise of secularism, which is removing God from all aspects of life. That is the reality of Europe. Secularism is something that you live with all the time here in America. It was birthed in Europe, and it's, it's like a fog. You don't even realize that you're in it, it's kind of all around you, but you can still walk, you can still breathe, you're still okay. You don't even realize how much it is impacting you. The largest group of secular people that we have discovered are not atheists. In fact, they're the smallest group. The largest group are religious secularists, meaning that they believe in some kind of God or higher authority or they're open to spiritual things, but they're not important in their life. I am the most important thing in my life. It's the self project. And that kind of belief system has all kinds of appealing things. You respect everything. Things like animal rights is a big, big deal to the secularists. That's very, very important. Guess what? It should be important to you and I. 
It should be important. You know what? The Bible even talks about taking care of your beast. And I'm not talking about your husband. (laughs) Scripture talks about taking care of animals. There's a bridge that we can build to the secularist. But if we're not involved in the conversation, how are we going to be able to communicate? Guess what their biggest pillar is? Sexuality. How many of you are hearing an awful lot about gender differences and so forth in your own news and in your own world and in your own schools and in your own work? My goodness, if you don't say the right thing, you don't go to the right bathroom, you can get sued. Guess what? Instead of us beating up on that, we need to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to know how to get into that debate and bring balance and health to it so that the message of the gospel can be preached. It's a hard subject, isn't it? So you're going to hear in this message today that the perversion of the gospel remains the preferred weapon of choice for all the demons of hell. And it's right here in your backyard. So I want to talk to you about the perverted gospel in Europe. First, I want to say that Jesus chooses to use us. That to me is kind of strange. Honestly, I think I would have done it differently. I would have probably had the angels or talking animals or something. I don't know, but I know how frail I am and I know my weaknesses and I I seriously will ask Jesus, why, what were you thinking when you sent me, you know, to Spain? What were you thinking when you wanted the most important message in all the world to go out from our frail and sinful lives? Why did you do that? The truth of the matter is the fact that he has given us this message. What a sacred trust we really have. Are you all with me? What a colossal, a mammoth privilege we all have to be servants of Jesus Christ and to have the greatest message that will actually save the world. When the church gets that witness correct through expression of grace and mercy and and joy and peace and unconditional love, non-judgmental love, the impact on the world is is incredible. The impact on the world is life-giving. It's unstoppable. It changes people. It changes culture. When we get it right, and we have gotten it right, Alvin uh, Schmidt in his book, How Christianity Changed the World, reminds us of some of the things when Christianity got it right and how the world was changed. Listen to this. He reminds us that Christianity in the ancient world halted infanticide, enhanced human dignity, emancipated women. You don't hear about that too much today. Abolished slavery, inspired charities and relief organizations, created hospitals, orphanages, founded schools, changed societies for the good. During the medieval times, it was Christianity that kept the classic cultures vibrant and alive through copying manuscripts and building the first libraries. It was Christians who invented colleges and universities. That was our faith. Dignified labor, divine vocations, brought light to those that were lost and hope to the poor and the marginalized. And in the modern age, balanced Christian teaching brought advanced science, anybody hear of it, Isaac Newton? Fostered justice, magnificent achievements in art, architecture, music, and mathematics. When Christianity gets it right, 
Look how it can change the world. Amen? However, there's always a however, isn't there? When Christianity gets it wrong, the ramifications are magnified all the more. How many of you know that when you're in church, you come to church with an expectation that we're going to live out our lives in faith and we're going to love one another? And so when you have a problem in the church and somebody gossips or stabs you in the back or, or somebody has moral failure, how devastating that is to the community. Why is that? Because there is an expectation that we should know better and we should live differently, right? It's what we preach. And so it's hypocritical in many ways when the other result happens. And it's magnified because the world, the community looks at us because we say we live for Jesus and that love is what it's all about. And then when we're not showing love, what happens to the community around us? They don't believe us, do they? Magnify that by a thousand times and now you're in Europe. That's exactly what has happened. When the church gets it wrong and begins to play God and assume his role as judge, over the world we are not the judges over the world we have no right to judge anybody no right to judge anybody that is not our responsibility we are to judge within us but we have no right to judge the world that's a hard thing to hear but that's the honest truth according to scripture let us never forget that the precious message of the gospel is spread through a witness, that's us. And the behavior and the character of that witness colors the message that it bears. And the enemy always tries to confuse and distort truth. And that is the reality in Europe, and I'm sure that you can relate to that on some level right here in your own backyard. Let me illustrate that by telling you a historic story that you may have heard, but I want to tell it again because it illustrates where this thing all began. And I think it is one of the most devious, diabolical plans that ever happened, and it happened on October 27th, A.D. 312. The plan was to destroy the testimony of Jesus Christ, and it was used through the person of Constantine. How many of you have heard of Constantine? All right, 12 of you, that's good. This is a very intellectual church. Constantine was on his way to take over as new emperor and he had a battle on his hand. And there was a man by the name of Maxentius who had four times the amount of troops and he was waiting for Constantine to wipe them out. But shortly before going into battle, history tells us that Constantine has a vision. And in that vision, he sees what's called the Chiro or the Cairo, depending if you're saying it in Latin or not. The Cairo is what you would see at, on the top of a, in the Catholic Church, the bishop's crook. You all seen that? At the top of the, it's like the shepherd's crook, but at the top, it'll have a P with an X. That was the sign, the ancient sign of the Christian God. Okay, the Chiro. And uh, Constantine knew that that was the sign of the Christian God. And he thought that, that, that God was therefore going to help him win the battle. So he had all of his troops get up in the middle of the night, paint the sign of the Chiro on their shields. And the next day they went out to fight against Maxentius. And guess what happened? Constantine destroyed 
the other army that had four times the amount of people and completely annihilated them. And the world thought that the Christian God had therefore intervened. Many even today would get angry that I'm even speaking this and saying this because it is seen as the time when Christianity became legitimate. It stopped 10 emperors in a row of persecuting the church. And suddenly that was stopped because now Constantine is the emperor. It must have been God, was it? It's the first time that the church had become legitimate, found itself in the place, in the halls of power. But I am reminded that scripture tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And the moment, people, the moment that we attempt to align the message of the cross of Jesus Christ with man's wisdom and power is the moment that we seal the testimony of Jesus Christ to certain failure. When we start pulling out the sword and conquering in the name of Jesus Christ, that action destroyed the trust of a continent and made the witness of a loving, gentle, peaceful Lamb of God so hard to believe. The cities of Europe, postmodern, in most places now, post-Christian. Do you know that 80% of French people have never touched a Bible? 80%. 3% of Europe has had a witness of the gospel that's adequate to bring them to a born-again experience. There are over 280 unreached people groups in Europe. And the worst of it all is that most of Europe is apathetic to faith in God whatsoever. Our unreached people groups, and this is where Europe's weird again, they're transplanted. It's not the same. The Wolof people in Africa are much more challenging to reach than the Wolof people in the 40,000 of them in southern France. Sorry, in southern Paris. And I thank God for the Wolof people there. And I thank God that we can target them. And guess what we are doing? We are targeting them. Because you know what? If one of them would get saved and go back to their own people, it, wouldn't that be amazing, huh? And guess what we see? We see success. It's our low-hanging fruit in some ways. It's different in Europe that way. And in the Joshua Project, which is a data collecting agency that helps us to identify all the unreached people groups in the world, they have this statement in there that says, pray for the Wolof people in Paris. And I'm glad that they're asking to have prayer for the 40,000 Wolof people in Paris. But nowhere in the Joshua Project does it say, pray for the 5 million Parisians right around the same area that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Something's wrong. Because the witness that they had is perverted. And it started right there with that dream of Constantine. They have a history in Europe that torments them. 
It gives them this distorted perception of Christianity that takes them to the abominations of the, of the crusades, the insanity of the inquisition. Let me just torture you a little bit more so that you'll believe Jesus. Come on. Hello. That happened. You're a heretic because you're not preaching what I said you can preach. So we're going to kill you. That's insane. That is not Jesus. And those events still haunt the people of Europe. They don't want to be associated with that. And guess what they associate Christianity with? That. And they don't want a part of it. Those events masked in the name of Christianity were illegitimate pretenders of the true Christ who gave himself freely on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. It is this distorted and convoluted message that has caused so many to reject Christianity and has given the rise to the secular societies of the world. The birthplace of secularism that you're feeling here is right in the heart of Europe and it happened because of the failure of Christendom. Missionary scholar Leslie Newbigin in the 1970s, a missionary from Europe, from England to India, phenomenal missionary scholar, prophetically stated that the fight for the soul of the world will be fought on three visions, Islam, authentic Christianity, and secularism. He also went on to state that the most challenging missionary frontier of our time is post-Christian Europe in his book called The Foolishness of the Gods. Why would he say that? Because, friends, it is so much more challenging to preach to somebody who thinks they've already heard the message and has already rejected it than to preach to somebody who's never heard it and is open or may not even be open, but they've never heard it. They're not balanced with anything. In, in Europe, the balance that we have is Christendom and pulling out swords and fighting wars, religious wars. Do you know why in Europe when we started the, 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 the Kuwait war, when, when that whole thing was going on, remember the French were giving us hard time and a lot of the Europeans were kind of giving us a hard time? Remember we even boycotted French fries? Do you remember that? I thought that was so cool because the French didn't invent French fries. That was the Belgians. But anyway, so they just laughed at us. Uh, the point is, we get so political in our thinking, you know? And uh, you know why they, do, why they don't want to go to war? Because that's all they've had in their history. Do a little bit of history. Do you know that in Spain, 1975 was when Franco finally died. In the church that I had pastored in Tarragona, we had people in there whose grandparents had their tongues cut out because they spoke Catalan. That was in 1975. That's not that long ago. It was the longest period of time from 1975 until the, the, the late 90s that they had without any kind of war going on in Europe. Think of that. That's not very long. That's 20, 30 years. Now they're again in a good season, thank God but there's still three million mines left in the Balkans. I think they get tired of just picking them up. They just decided to leave them there till the next time. That's the mentality. That's why there's so much pacifism in Europe because 
they don't get the mentality. They see that Christianity and religious wars are the problem. Is this, are you hearing me? It's just a different way to approach things here. The birthplace and the center of this global secularism is Europe. And I contend that the reason for the rise of secularism is due to the failure of Christendom. But I do want to distinguish between Christendom and authentic Christianity. Authentic, or I would say Christendom is that political, that ugly thing. That uh, uh, the, 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 the concept of of. of of justifying your actions, whether it be war or whether it be whatever, in the name of Jesus, that is Christendom. We force you to do things in the name of Christ. Christendom is political. European history provides us with a plethora of examples, whereas authentic Christianity is personal. It's, it's, it's a longing to meet the the, the needs and the depth of our souls that everybody has. Christendom fights, Christianity serves. Amen? And that same mentality of conquering in the name of Christ made its way into the Americas, if you remember. The great empires, the Incas, the Aztecs, the Mayans were ruthlessly exterminated in the name of Christianity. You hear this, I guarantee you. I talked to somebody in, 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 the, in the main street here after the first service who's at Purdue. And this is one of the biggest arguments that they have. Why would I want to be part of a church or any kind of religion when so much of, of the problems that we have in the world are because of religious wars? And guess what? We need to say, yeah, you're right. There is no debate on that. And it's not just Islam. Christianity or Christendom was the start of that. Boy, oh boy, it's so good I'm going to be leaving soon. And your pastor can pick up this mess that I'm leaving here. So the Incas, the Aztecs, the Mayans were ruthlessly exterminated. However, the good news is embedded in that demonic destruction were some godly men and women, mostly peaceful, mostly indigenous, who did accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were a minority for sure, but they were there. And you know what? Amidst that evil and hateful counterfeit gospel that made its way all around the world, protected by the living Holy Spirit of God, that seed has now grown into an unprecedented, glorious church, vibrantly filled with the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit, which today numbers in the hundreds of millions. Thank God. Amen? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We do win in the end. It may not look that good, but we're going to get there and, and we're going we're to be looking the right way. Amen? So that diabolical plan to kill in the name of Christ, to destroy the testimony of a true, loving, peaceful, and living Lord remains deeply embedded into the psyche and the DNA of Europe. And that trap was planted through Constantine's demonic vision in Italy, and it continues to viciously hold captive millions of lost people in Europe. That same strand of subtle demonic influence that kills the testimony of Jesus Christ is also quite embedded in the United States of America today. And I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about even in the church. 
We have looked to be accepted in society, we the church. We have gotten in bed with politics and places of power and political correctness. We interpret scripture to satisfy our gluttony around the world. We will applaud the concept of just war theory by using Romans 13 without considering Revelation 13, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, telling us how we are to love our enemies, how we are to turn the other cheek, how we are to pray for those who persecute us, and we don't even wrestle with those scriptures anymore. Ouch. Do you know that when the Assemblies of God began, we were pacifistic? We don't even talk about that anymore. I don't care what your politics are. I really don't care what your politics are. I pray, and I've already talked to your pastor. You guys are apolitical, and I pray you stay that way. Be careful. There is a demonic strand in that whole conversation that has sent the continent of Europe to hell or sending it. Are you with me? And it's right here in your backyard. You know the biggest fear in Islam in Europe? It is not the nonsense that you guys have probably all heard that in 40 or 50 years, uh, Islam is going to take over Europe. That is not going to happen. If I'm still alive, you can stone me, okay, if it happens. It's not happening. The European does not have any regard for Islam. It doesn't impress them at all. They respect it. They leave it. They go along because that fits their, their secular view, respect everything. So they allow it to go on. But there's no desire to follow Islam. Now, Eastern religions and that kind of thinking, that, that intrigues them a little bit more. And secularism, a whole lot. I'm worried about America because I love this country. I love our country. Thank God, by the miracle of geography, you were born here. Thank God. Praise God. Wonderful. I'm grateful that we do tend to reach out to the hurting of the world more than anyone else. We don't run around conquering even though we could, but we don't. Thank God. That's wonderful. We are basically a noble nation. Thank God. I hope it stays that way. But friends, I do not have a choice as to where I was born and neither do you. Thank God by the miracle of geography we're born here. But I did have a choice as to who I would serve in life. And I am very proud to tell you that I serve Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And that's where I'm going to give my energy and my heart. Amen? I am part of another culture and you are part of another culture that is far greater than the American culture or the Spanish culture or whatever culture it may be in the world. The kingdom culture is the greatest culture that you can be part of. And it is the culture of that kingdom of Jesus Christ. Give your energy to the things of the kingdom of Jesus and his great love for this fallen world. Align yourself with the things that look like his love. And give your energy there because without looking like Jesus, this world has no hope of ever knowing him. And I'm saying that to you out of love. 
as a brother who's watched in Europe the battle that's there. We are seeing church growth that's happening in wonderful ways. It's not counteracting the decline, but the wonderfulness is that immigrants are coming to know Jesus Christ. Do you know that the refugee crisis that you all were aware of and you heard about, in, in 15 months, we have seen and counted over 20,000 Muslims who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and 10,000 of them have been publicly baptized, and that happened in 15 months. And that's just those... That's just those who are our closest partners and our missionary family ourselves. 20,000. And the figures are that over 100,000 among all Christian faiths. 100,000. That's 10% of all the refugees that came in. That is a miracle of God. Where do you have something like that happening in the world? It's incredible what has taken place. So we have this great opportunity. And the church growth is therefore happening among refugees and immigrants. And I celebrate that. But it's not happening among the European. Europeans have rejected Christendom. And we need a move of the Holy Spirit to help change that. And if we're not careful, right in this, our own backyard... We've got some crazy things there in the name of Christianity out there that are being preached on televisions and radios. This, this, this nonsense prosperity gospel garbage is from the pit of hell. You see, it all looks, it looks different than Europe. Europe, it was in, in violence. They pulled out the sword and they fought and, 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 and religion and politics all mixed together there. In America, secularism looks different. It's through hedonism. It's through pleasure. We have anything we want. It's rugged individualism. I'm, who, I'm my own man. Guess what that is? That's secularism. The me project rather than the him project. And you don't even know what's going on around you. And where all our attention is on security and all these types of things. Folks, I would encourage you to know who you are in Jesus Christ. Because guess what? If somebody came in here today and killed us all, guess where we're going? We're secure in Jesus Christ. Amen? Do we really believe that? And yet we spend all our energy in worrying about this. And on the news we have, oh my goodness, there could be five people that came in through the refugees. We can't let refugees come into our country anymore because there might be five or six of them, you know, that are, that are really, really bad. And we do, they do the same thing in Europe. It's a little different conversation, but they're saying, they're saying the same thing. You know, like we got to focus on these radicalized people. And guess what? All that time that you're focusing on those five or six radicalized Folks, there's hundreds of thousands of young people that are being duped by secularism and they're going to hell just like the terrorists. But it doesn't make the news. It needs to make our prayers, amen? And so I leave you with these thoughts today. We are called to look like Jesus to a hopeless world. We are gonna be called. You're gonna be challenged. This church is unique God sent you here for a reason, guys. He sent you here for a reason. You have a perspective on things that we in America need to hear. And you know what? The church is going to be challenged, I believe, like it's never been challenged before. 
I think you're going to see a division in the church. You're going to find out authentic Christianity, and you're going to find out the make-believers. I'm sorry, but that's what we're coming to. And our country has never experienced what it's like to live in a remnant, a remnant faith, where there's a few, and those few are going to need to be the models for the world. And if you do it right, this community has a chance. Amen? And if you do it right and you stand with us, Europe is going to have a chance. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you will help us to be authentic in our walk with you. That this isn't a game. That this is so serious, Lord. Jesus, things in life don't go the way we want them to go, and yet you are still in control, and we're so grateful that we can trust you. But Lord, there are people all around us that are so anti-Christianity because of the convoluted message that they've heard. And I pray that we will not be convoluted in how we live Pray, Lord, that you will use us and help us to shine truly into this world that is so desperate everywhere. Even Islam is feeling the pressure of secularism. Lord God, thank you that so many Muslims are coming to know you because they're coming in contact with your church in Europe. Help the church in Europe, I pray, to stand up. To stand up and to go to the front lines and be the church, even though it's hard. Help them, Lord, and help us. So, Holy Spirit, speak to each of us right now. Help us to be authentic in our faith. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I predict that Islam will not take over Europe. I pray that the church will take over Islam in Europe. But I suspect on that journey that Islam's biggest struggle is going to be secularism because second generation, their kids don't want Islam. They want this thing that's secularism, but that's just as lost. Please pray. Pray for all these Europeans that need to know him. Thanks, Pastor. Thank you, Paul.